so much as always for your gifts to our ladies' ministries. This goes to help support our ladies' jubilee and teen conference as well, so we appreciate your generosity as always. Fellas, make your way down this morning. Our 11 o'clock uh, tithes and offering. Uh, you be obedient unto the Lord. Brother Scott, you come get ready to sing for us today. And again, we thank you so much for your obedience in supporting uh, the church here, and God will bless you for that. We're going to pray, ask God's blessings upon the offering. Brother Scott's going to sing for us this morning. Lord, we humbly thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. Bless the offering. Lord, thank you for the allowing us to come together and worship. And Lord, for giving back that which you've blessed us. May it be what you'd have it to be. Bless Brother Scott as he sings. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. started my journey in fresh childlike trust I believed that the Lord's way was best I would read in his word how he mothered the bird and grieved when it fell from its nest how I felt his delight when I chose to do right and prayed I would not make him sad we would meet on the What a pure, sweet communion we had. Oh, but now more than ever I cherish the cross. More than ever I sit at His feet. All the miles of my journey have proved my Lord true. He is so precious to me. Oh, the road that I've traveled has sometimes been through the wild jagged places of life and sometimes i've stumbled and fallen so hard that the stones cut my soul like a knife oh but the staff of my shepherd would reach out for me and lift me to cool pastures green oil of the spirit there I rest by the clear healing stream. Oh, but now more than ever I cherish the cross. More than ever I sit at His feet. All the miles of my journey have proved my Lord true. And He is so precious. story too good to be true do you find all this hard to believe has the cruel world we live in so battered your heart that the hurt child inside you can't grieve oh i can't say i blame you i've been where you are and all i can say is it's true you're wanted you're precious the love of his heart the old rugged cross
Amen. Let's all stand together one more time. Blue Songbook, hymn number 203. Famous course we like to sing around here, The Windows of Heaven. We'll sing it one time through. Have a time of fellowship, hymn number 203.
thank you so much. Just before the ushers come back down for our uh, missions offering, I want to recognize a couple of things this morning. Not always able to do this due to the size of our church, but sure want to recognize a couple of folks. Ronnie and Angie, y'all stand up, stand up. They're newlyweds, just got married a couple weeks ago. We want to congratulate this precious couple. Thank you so much, guys, that you be much in prayer for them. And brother and sister Whitlow, y'all stand up back there. Stand up, guys. Stand up, brother and sister. That's you, brother Doug. Stand up, buddy. He's looking at me like, you mean me, preacher? Yeah. Brother and sister Whitlow just celebrated their 65th wedding anniversary. That is awesome. And believe it or not, thank you, guys, they're not the ones that have been married the longest. Brother and sister Sheila, how long have y'all been married? 67, giving them a run for their money. I love it. I love it. Yep. And brother and sister Roar, y'all stand up. They just celebrated 50 years this past week. I think that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's fantastic. Fellas, make your way down this morning, if you would, please. First Sunday of every month is always Mission Sunday here at the church. And we appreciate your diligence in giving to the missions program. We, of course, now give 14.5% tithes and offerings over to missions as well. So you be obedient. We're going to get into the word. Lord, bless the missions offering. May it be what you'd have it to be in Christ's name. chapter number 12 this morning. I'm going to give you part two of the message that we started last week, Romans chapter 12. As you're turning there, I will ask a couple of the men or a handful of the men, if you're not in our drama this year, or even if you are and you're not in the first scenes, uh, as always, we are looking for men who will help us uh, man our parking lot uh, during our production. It is always packed here. Uh, every year seems to get a little bit bigger. Last year we had over 400 in attendance, and if you can look around in an auditorium that seats 350 and we had 400, we were loving on each other last year. Uh, and so we need folks to help us with that. If you're willing uh, and uh, can help any night, Friday night, Saturday nights, uh, productions will start at 7. Uh, Sunday, of course, at 6 o'clock. If you will see Brother Daryl and sign up for that, we always ask the men to be here about an hour early. Uh, in order to accommodate the great demand, the cast will, of course, be shipping back and forth from Hardee's like we always do, or transporting, not shipping. <laughs> We're not going to send you up in a box and ship you over here, but <laughs> bringing you back and forth. Romans chapter 12, please. Last week, gave you part one, which was all about worshiping God. 
series of two messages that I've entitled, Our Reasonable Service. Let's start in verse number one. Fresh our memories. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a, those two words, say them with me, one, two, three, living sacrifice, holy Acceptable unto God, which is your, and say these last two words, one, two, three, reasonable service. Last week, we talked about this notion of our reasonable service. Is it reasonable, is it logical, realistic, is it fair for God to expect that his children live holy lives? The answer to that is unquestionably yes. In fact, Paul says it is our reasonable service. I promised you three ideas, three ways, three steps, if you will, to living that, that holy life. And last week we spent all of our time focused upon this idea of worshiping God. So often when we talk about worship, we think about what happens on a Sunday morning church service. And while indeed what we've come here to do today is to worship the Lord, you understand, recognize, I hope, the idea that if all you have in worship is what happens on a Sunday morning, you'll never make it in your Christian walk. A Sunday morning worship hour is not enough for the child of God to thrive in God's kingdom plan. I talked to you a little bit last week about this biblical uh, interpretation principle called the first mention which is this idea that when something is mentioned, the characteristics carry through the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 22, the first time we have the mention of the word worship, it is surrounding the sacrifice of Abraham and his son Isaac. So I submit to you this morning that when we think about worship, what worship entails, a sacrifice resonates. In the Old Testament, those sacrifices were animals. And as I mentioned to you last week, God gives very clear commandments, and he does not uh, falter on the specifics of what animal was to be sacrificed and in what way and in what day and the methodology by which it happens. And you understand that all of those animal sacrifices throughout the Old Testament were all pointing to Calvary. They were all a picture of the sacrifice of God's Son that was to come. So now in the New Testament, what is worship about? If worship is indeed involving a sacrifice and we don't have to do the animals anymore because the grand sacrifice has been made, does that mean our time of sacrifice is over? Absolutely. In fact, what happens now in the New Testament uh, is the idea of worship, uh, though we no longer have to sacrifice an animal, uh, though we no longer have to place a dead animal uh, on an altar, uh, our sacrifice today is all about our bodily sacrifice. The sacrifice of our flesh. The other words, folks, the Bible says that it is a living sacrifice. And I submit to you that that living sacrifice, the sacrifice of our flesh, the notion that we as God's kids, God's children, God's family, the bride of Christ, we don't have the luxury of living any old way we want to. That is our reasonable service. I was... Pleasantly flattered past week with the emails, the texts, the, even a couple of phone calls uh, complimenting the message last week. And I want to say this to everybody 
that's here can hear me this morning. Uh, I hope that this week and last week uh, are not just the idea of good messages, uh, but that we all understand that the message is behind the idea of good Christian living. One particular person whose opinion I value greatly said, Preacher, we as God's people always need more messages on clean living. You don't find that much anymore, folks. Clean living, Christian living, godly living is not a topic that draws a crowd. It's not a topic uh, that generates a lot of amens. It's not a topic that puts dollars in the offering plate, but you listen and hear me well. It's a topic that we need a lot more of. God expects his children to live clean, holy lives. It's fundamental who we are. I want to say a statement again this morning that I said last week. God did not save us so that we could return to the pig pen from which he brought us out of. God did not save us. Pull us out of the muck and the mire of this world so that we would end up right back in the hog pit that he saved us out of. Far too many today live their lives one way on Sunday, altogether different the rest of the week. These verses, these two verses remind us not only is holy living expected, is, as Paul says, our reasonable service. I'll say one more time, as I said this last week, we will never live godly lives by accident. It'll never happen accidentally. There must be a determined effort, a consistent effort, that we're going to decide that we will live differently the world around us. A reasonable service. What does it comprise? Number one, worship of God. Talked about that last week. So now let's go on to number two. If we understand that the worship of God, our, our living sacrifice, the sacrifice of our flesh, is a prerequisite to godly living, does that mean that's the end? No, I'm afraid not. In fact, listen, it gets harder. I've said to you many times, getting saved is one of the easiest things you'll ever do. But living the saved life is the hardest thing you will ever do. Your enemy will make sure that it's not easy. He will make sure that he throws obstacles in your pathway, throws barriers, roadblocks, mountains, valleys uh, to try to get you to stumble along your Christian life. uh, Because every time you stumble, your influence is diminished. We live a Christian life. Apart from just our bodily sacrifice. Verse 2. Notice what it says. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? Well, if you're right in your Bibles, underline this clause. By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. 2,000 years ago, Paul, writing to the church of Rome, knew that the battle for the Christian life was the battle for the mind. 2,000 years ago, Paul gave credence to the fact that whatever man thinketh, that's what he is. 2,000 years ago, Paul recognized that what we think about, that becomes what our flesh does. And so in order to control the flesh, we've got to control the mind. Not conformed to this be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove 
that good, acceptable, perfect of God. Let's read them both one more time together. I'll read it. Verse 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable. Not conform to this world. Transform by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us clarity of direction. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us stranded on an island unto ourselves trying to figure out how do we get from one place to the next. We don't stumble around trying to determine what is the blueprint for life. God, you give us a clear direction and an outline. The challenge is, God, we just don't often like to follow it. Lord, as we get to the message this morning, it is my humble desire. Everybody who listens to me this morning will be reminded that this is our reasonable service. It is, in fact, not unreasonable for God to expect us to live clean lives. It is not unreasonable for God to expect us to be different from the world around us. That is our reasonable service. God, we understand that it won't happen by accident. It won't do it if we don't plan to make it happen. It won't happen uh, just by osmosis. God, we've got to set out a distinct and clear desire and plan to be different. Live different. Lord, we understand that happens by the renewing of our mind. Help us, Lord, to unfold these scriptures today in such a way that every believer would walk out of here with yet one more determined desire to live differently in the world around them. Lord, save the lost. Reclaim all of us that we may be stronger when we leave than when we came. Thank you and praise you in Christ's name. I would be remiss if I did not begin the message as I did last week by calling out the fact that Paul writes in chapter 12, verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren. This is a letter that is written to believers. This is a letter that is written to those who already know the name of Christ, who've become born again, part of the bride of Christ, uh, and Paul is now inciting them to live differently than the world around them. I want to pause a moment, preface my comments to the church by saying this. While the message today is once again for believers, it is for the church. If you have never met the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not a brand new creature in Christ, if you've never been born again, today is the day of salvation. Holy Spirit begins to prick your heart and convict you of your sin. I would encourage you, don't put it off another day because you're not promised another day. Today is the day of salvation. For those of us who are saved, our commandment is very simple. Be. Don't live like everybody else. I will say one more time, it will never happen by accident. If the worship of God is number two, uh, number one, I submit to you this morning that number two is that we must have the wisdom of God. In order for us to live clean lives, different lives, separated lives, holy lives, uh, we not only must sacrifice our flesh, uh, but we must have what I'm calling this morning the wisdom of God. Paul Verse number one gives very clear commandments about the flesh and the importance of sacrificing the flesh. But he doesn't stop there. 
Because Paul, the great theologian that he was, understood that you will never win the battle of your flesh until you've won the battle for your mind. i got to say that again because everybody needs to understand it. We will never win the battle. You can turn over every new leaf on every oak tree in your backyard. And you can try every 12-step program, and don't misunderstand me, many of them are fantastic. I'm not belittling them, but we will never win the battle of our flesh until we conquer the battle for our mind. Paul gives us that clear. But thankfully, he also gives us some description as to how we make that happen. Two steps, he says. In order to win the battle of the mind, there are two things, he says in verse 2, that we must do. Number one, we have to shun the mold. We have to shun the mold. He says, be not conformed to this world. That word conformed literally means fashioned or shaped or molded. As I was studying this out a few weeks ago, uh, the image that popped into my mind uh, was of a little gadget that I had when I was a kid. I don't know how popular Play-Doh is today, but when I was a kid, I absolutely loved Play-Doh. I loved to mix the colors together. I loved to squish it out. I loved to roll it out. But I had a little gadget that had little shapes that you would put on the end of the gadget. And you'd put the Play-Doh inside the machine. You would push a little lever down. And the Play-Doh would be squeezed and oozed out into the shape of whatever you put on the tip of the machine. If you wanted a star, you put a star tip on it. And you squeezed the Play-Doh out and out came a star. If you wanted a circle, you did a circle. If you wanted a square, you did a square. Whatever it was uh, that that play-doh took the shape of whatever that little end of the gadget was because it was being molded into the shape that I desired I was in control I determined what shape the play-doh would be I decided what gadget would be on the end I decided what was going to come out at the risk of sounding funny the play-doh had no say in the matter I never one time looked at the Play-Doh and said, what would you like to be today? I never one time looked at the Play-Doh and said, what color do you want to become? What shape would you like to be? I was in control, and the Play-Doh was fashioned into my will. Paul says that's the danger of the world today. You see, the world, our flesh and our enemy, uh, longs to put us into our enemy's Play-Doh machine. And longs to put on the end of that machine a tip that is antithetical to who God is. That is counterproductive to what God wants. And longs to press us down so that when we ooze out, we don't look like God. But instead, we look like the world. Paul says, be not conformed. Don't be shaped. Don't be molded into this world if you don't say amen to anything else I hope you'll say amen to this our society and our world today is an in an ungodly mess it is ungodly through and through so when the child of God conforms to the world's imagery 
We are in direct opposition to what God says he wants and expects for the child of God. So I submit to you this morning, folks, uh, that we will never win the battle of our flesh uh, while we are trying to battle our mind. Uh, You can go today and read Galatians chapter number 5. In fact, uh, for the sake of time, we won't spend a lot of time, but put your bookmarker there and flip with me to Galatians 5 quickly. I don't normally jump around on a Sunday morning, but I want you to see this. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Let's jump to verse number 19. Galatians chapter number 5, verse number 19. Everybody there? Say amen. Verse 19. Now the work, this is still Paul writing, different church, same message. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Let me paraphrase that. These are the things we don't want. These are the things we're struggling against. These are things that we don't want to become as God's kids. It says adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. I can summarize it in the same way Scripture does. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I'm going to make a bold statement today, church which I hope you will amen once again. These things that Paul says we don't want, that we're fighting against, that we're struggling to not be like, they have become the accepted norm in society today. These things that God says are wrong, that the Christian is against, that we are not to become, these have become the accepted societal expectations today. Please wrap your head around that. What society says is normal, God says is wrong. And I understand already. I hear the sound in my head of the people who say, but preacher, every time you preach like that, you're being exclusionary. You're keeping people out. Give me your Bible, Jordan. Make sure it's a King James. Amen. It is. I want you to look at me, folks. Either we have truth or we don't. And by definition, the truth is exclusionary. Let me give you an example. This microphone is black. You with me? You might say it's a deep, dark gray. I'll buy that. But you will amen the fact that it's not red. It's not green. It's not orange. It's not yellow, it's not blue polka dotted, it's not rainbow, it's not colored, it's not spotted, thank God it's not glittered, amen. It is none of those things. So be my, by me saying that this is black, I'm excluding what it's not. When I say this is truth, I'm excluding those who say it's not. That's not my choice, that's theirs. So yes. When I say to you that the world's mold is wrong, that is an exclusionary statement. And I'll take it a step further to say that God's family, God's kids, Christ's bride has no business looking like the world. Shun the mold. Different. But not only does Paul say to shun the mold, he also, and we're going to spend probably 
the rest of the morning here. This two-part message may become a ten-part message. (laughs) Paul says, not only do you shun the mold, he says we must shape the mind. But be not conformed. But be ye transformed. Let's stop right there. Before we even get to the next clause by the renewing of your mind, let's talk about this word transform. It is the same word that we get our word today, metamorphosis. I think of two things when I think of the word metamorphosis. I think of my son's early fascination with mighty morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> Amen. He even had the PJs to prove it. (laughs) Some of you still do. (laughs) But the other thing that I think about when I talk about this word metamorphosis is the spectacular transformation that occurs every spring when a caterpillar metamorphoses into a butterfly. You see... You need to understand this, folks. The butterfly and the caterpillar are the same animal. When that, when that caterpillar spins that cocoon and begins to morph into a different creature, do you understand that the genetic material that transforms that caterpillar into a butterfly already resides inside the caterpillar? Nothing is applied to the surface. Nothing is added on the outside. Every Listen now. Everything that the caterpillar needs to become a butterfly is already inside the caterpillar. So when the caterpillar goes into a cocoon, what comes out on the outside is what already resides on the inside. I made a lot of mistakes as a young pastor. A lot of mistakes. Still make a lot of mistakes. But one of the big mistakes that I made as a young pastor was spending all of my time focusing on the outside of a person. Now, don't misunderstand me. The outside matters. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Outside matters. But the outside will never be what it's supposed to be until the inside's taken care of. And when the inside is taken care of, the outside become, can become spectacular and a beautiful image into God's glory. But that metamorphosis goes from the inside out, not ever, ever, ever from the outside. So when Paul says, be ye transformed, I submit to you that this is the change that God wants in his children. He's moved into our hearts when he saved us. Now he wants our outside changed by the changing of the inside. Why? Because the flesh will do what the mind tells it to do. I'm going to make a bold statement this morning, folks. In fact, i got to tell you, I get a lump in my throat. By the statement I'm about to make. Church, we're losing the battle for the mind. We are losing today. The enemy is winning the battle 
for the Christian mind. How do I know that? I'm going to give you some Gregology now. Things that I think I've studied enough of sociology to understand a little bit of what's happening in society. What's destroying what it is that God has created and why so many believers today can never live victorious Christian lives because they never conquer the battle of their mind. Do things quickly. Paul didn't write them. These are my thoughts and mine alone, but I want you to hear me. Number one, the humanistic me first generation. This ideology of humanism that what I think matters above all else, uh, that my ideas, my thoughts, my opinions, my desires, my wants, my rights are supreme is counterproductive to what God says. God says it is not me first, but him first. God says it's not my rights first, but his will first. God says it's not my flesh, my wants, my desires, but it's his thoughts, his will, his way, his eye. He gave us the blueprint, but when I don't like the blueprint, I just chuck the blueprint away and say, I'll do it myself. It is destroying the fabric of our culture. And I'm going to take it a step further. It is in creating an entitlement mentality that is ruining our nation. I understand that's not PC. I get it. It's not politically correct. But this idea that it is all about me. Avoiding the great country that was founded upon God first. In God we trust. We pledge allegiance to our flag under God. And God said it's not man first, but God first. Amen. It was the second one gets at the heart of what's happening. And I struggled all week long to come up with the right term for this. I struggled, in fact, for a couple of weeks uh, to put this in a way that was acceptable in mixed company. Friday night. Renee and I traveled back from Philadelphia where I had to be for the week for college. Took the train, arrived in Lynchburg, got there at about 9.30. Got in our car, flipped on the news, and we were driving home. Heard a commentator use this term that I have adopted because I think it's correct. I think what's ruining the mind of America today is the pornification of our society. The pornification our society. I want to stop a moment and say this so that everybody understands. Looking around, we don't have too many youngsters in here this morning. Sexual intimacy is a marvelous gift from God between the husband and the wife. Between the husband and the wife. Between the husband and the wife. And when we decide to take God's blueprint and chuck it for our own fleshly desires, there are consequences. I was staggered a few weeks ago. As on September the 27th, I read about and we heard about the death of Hugh Hefner. I was blown away by some of the people who promoted him as an American hero. Entrepreneur. Started this great enterprise that, as he said, in his words, transformed the thinking of a nation. 
pain by today's standards. And then what blew my mind was one week later as the sexual harassment claims of Harvey Weinstein broke and these same people feigned outrage. Now let's just park there for a second. I mean, come on, I'm, you know I'm not a fussy preacher. I'm not a mean stomp in your face preacher, uh, but, but I submit to you, we cannot glorify pornography and become outraged uh, by its natural end results. The only real surprise here that it's taken this long to come to light. Let's be clear, folks. What do you mean, Pastor? I think we're losing the battle of our mind. The average age for boys to access porn is 11 years old. When one out of four girls will be sexually molested, we're losing the battle of our mind. When the average age for a boy to experience sexual intimacy is 12, and the average age for a girl is 13, and when some estimates are that more than 40% of America's men are addicted to porn, I submit to you that there are consequences to chucking God's plan out the window. Consequences. I hope you'll amen me again. Worst of all, crept into and what was 30 years ago considered uh, unbelievable, uh, considered something you don't talk about in mixed company, uh, is now somehow the norm, not just outside, but inside. God help the pastor. Tries to set some kind of standard for decency, morality. For those that stand in the pulpit or those who have a leadership position, somehow he's the bad guy. May I pause a moment and say, in most public jobs today, you can't show up and do anything you want to do and act any way you want to act and there not be consequences. Explain to me why we expect our church to be any different. It staggers my mind, folks, when I understand that the Internet has opened up what scholars are calling an information age for America. You have to acknowledge that it has also opened us up with our unquestionably the depravities of man's mind. The internet, device that every one of us carries around. My father was a bit staggered when I told him this. My daddy has a, has a computer that is by all definitions from the Jurassic era. Amen. He always has me come over to his house to try to look at it or fix it when something's wrong. And I looked at him one day and I said, Daddy, I think you need a new one. I'm about to the point where I can't do any more fixing on this. Uh, you don't have enough memory. You don't have enough speed. And he looked at me and said, I'm not getting a new one. Fix it. He said, it's a computer. What's wrong with it? I pulled out my cell phone and I said, Dad, do you understand that I have right here on this iPhone 7 more power than what the astronauts had when they landed on the moon. I've got more capability in the palm of my hand than what John Glenn had when he stepped out onto the surface of the moon. And as only my daddy could, he looked at me and said, but I'm not going to the moon. Fix my computer. Amen. Hey, man. I 
I recognize that there are some senior saints in here probably don't understand where I'm going with this, but for everybody else, you know that what was done in the dark corners and fringes of society 30 years ago can be done and erased like that today. What was socially unacceptable is now normal because of a cell phone. We're in a dangerous place, folks. We're losing battle. No preachers sound like fuddy duds when they say it, but I'm going to be the fuddy dud. What you watch on TV, what you listen to in those earbuds, who you hang around, the way they conduct themselves, it matters. Things you say and the places you go and the way you do, it matters. Because once it's out here, mamas, our grannies used to say it like this, garbage in, garbage out. And back today, we think, why? Society's so raunchy. I mean, I have to tell you, I'm not proud of this. I'm just going to be blunt. A few weeks ago, I don't remember where we were, what city we were in. Late in the evening, I'd finished my stuff for the day. Close your Bibles, I'm done. I got 27 more points. I'll stop with it. We'll go to, we'll go to, Lesson three next week. Sitting in a hotel room. And I don't know about you, but when, when the day is done, there are two things I like to do to unwind. I'll read or I'll watch news. I'll read or I'll watch news. The risk of getting too political, I'm gonna, not going to tell you what news I like to watch, but I'll probably figure it out. understand that when you're in a hotel, you don't have the guide in front of you that gets you straight to that channel, pick up the remote, and you start flipping. So I get to a face and a voice that I understand and recognize. And to get to that, I stumbled upon MTV. And in the five minutes that I watch, I know this does not set well with folks today, but you listen to me. The five minutes that I sat there with that, I witnessed some of the raunchy trash I could imagine. Pervertedness. And I watched down in the front row as tons of teenagers Celebrated, raised their hand, food and all, thinking what they were witnessing was the greatest thing. Things that we wouldn't talk about in mixed company are being played out on national television. And let's be clear, I, I don't want to be too political, but our leadership sometimes doesn't emulate the best circumstances. 
losing battle. The can come get us a song. We fill our minds with trash. Trash is what. What? Talk more about that next week. But I want to submit to you that you got to start with the understanding that what you put in here determine flesh does. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor this morning. Nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. I'm going to ask you this morning to just be honest. In fact, I'm not even going to. I don't want anybody to think anything that I'm. Pe- I just. I don't, I'm not even going to. Close my eyes when I ask you. I want you to be honest. Nobody's looking. How many in the congregation? Be honest and say, Pastor, I need some. Work on the battle for my mind. I have no idea. Raising their hands. Whoever did, you can put them down. Before Brother Ken sings a single note, for those of you who like me, raised your hand. Yeah, the preacher raised his. Why don't you step out right now? Right now. Preacher, if I do, somebody will know that I raised. Who cares? Talk about you anyway. Give him something good to talk about. Come on, make your way this morning. God, help me in the battle for my mind to start putting the things in. Pleasing. I believe in the doctrine of replacement. Get rid of the bad, but you got to supplant it with the good. Get rid of the bad friends, you got to get some good friends. Get rid of the bad music, you got to get some good stuff. Get rid of the bad, you got to put in some good. I'm going to ask you a second question, then we're going to have a short invitation. Is there anyone in the building this morning that would say, Pastor, not even a believer, not a Christian. I'm not sure I'm going to go to heaven, but I am sure I don't want to go to hell. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. Anyone like that this morning? I'm not going to sing or you, thank you. Anyone this morning that would just be honest and say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure that heaven would be my home. Father, thank you for the time this morning. Bless now the invitation. In Christ's name, Brother Ken, sing us one verse. If God spoke to you. I'm not going to linger this out. If God spoke to you, you step out right now. Come this morning. Come on quickly. I need thee every hour.
service, and tonight I'm going to do something a little special. I'm going to do a little, at least I think it is. There's a question that I think many of us ask. It's the question that Job asked that he could never get past. Why do the righteous suffer? Why do some of God's best people seem to suffer the most? When some of the folks who seem to not care a thing about the Lord just seem to get off scot-free. Psalm 73, Asaph asked that question. We're going to talk about it tonight. I think you'll walk out of here with a whole different perspective on it. Again, 6 o'clock, 2.30 for practice, Jesus and soldiers. Everybody else, 3 o'clock. Pray for us, buddy, if you would. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you, Lord, for this timely message and this hour that we live in, Father. God, how we need to guard our minds, Lord, and fight the hard battle, God, to control our thoughts. Father, we can only do that through your power. Father, we thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you for the power that Jesus has, Lord, and everything he conquered on Calvary's cross. Father, just help us now as your children, Lord, to live respectably out here. And God, keep our testimony strong. And Father, have a strong influence on this nation and in our county. Father, we love you this morning. God, we thank you first and most of all, Lord, for loving us first. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. <laughs> 